Bert and Emma went to the county fair. A young man there had an airplane, and he'd give you a ride for $10. But Bert just smiled and said, $10 is $10. Emma said, Bert, we're not getting any younger. Who knows if we'll ever get another chance to fly in an airplane? Bert said, Emma, $10 is $10. Well, the pilot overheard, and, and he said, Folks, I'll give you both a ride in my airplane for free on the sole condition that you speak not one word while we're up there. So up they went. The pilot did his dandest to get them to say something. He did spins, he did loop-de-loops, he went 500 feet straight up and 500 feet straight down. Not one peep from the rear. Finally, they landed. The pilot climbed out and said, well, looks like you earned a free ride. Well, said Emma, I thought about saying something when Bert fell out. But $10 is $10. New Englanders are funny about money. We don't like to spend it, even less do we like to talk about it? It isn't done. It isn't polite. Fancy restaurants used to print two sets of menus, one indicating prices for the paying gentleman, one mysteriously priceless for his lady guest. We still gum up our fingernails, peeling stickers off gifts, lest the recipient know how much we spent. <coughs> Until I was in college, I had no idea what my father earned, because he wouldn't tell me. My parents were so determined that my sister and I not worry about money, we both grew up clueless about its management. As a result, I've gone through periods in my life when I spent foolishly, and other times when I squeezed every dollar until the eagle grinned. Whatever our upbringing, few of us escaped childhood with an undistorted perception of money. Maybe we never had enough of it, and the fear of scarcity haunts us still. Or we had enough, but it was used as a narcotic or as a tool of emotional extortion. Or we had too much, and it was lavished on us instead of time, or worse, instead of love. Wounded by money, we blame money for the wound and develop toward it either attachment or aversion, neither healthy, neither natural. When families argue half the time, we argue over money. But stripped of its charge, money is simply a means of exchange. As Joe Dominguez and Vicky Robin put it, money isn't dirty. People do dirt to each other. 
and sometimes do it using money. Money originated as an instrument not of power, but of equity. The barter system that preceded it exploited anyone who didn't know the relative value of the goods they exchanged. By creating a single standard of value, money made transactions more transparent and more fair. The bad reputation of money arises not from the thing itself, but from our obsession with it and from our confusion of wealth and worth. Blaming money rather than its abuse leaves us victims to its abusers. Money itself is neither good nor evil. What is good or evil is how it is used. When we define self-worth by our possessions, we mistake having for being. We live in thrall of thingdom. While our government wages a violent and costly war on drugs at home and abroad, as a nation we bless the drug of consumption. Each purchase a sacrament of pseudo-self-esteem and economic communion. Shopping malls have become the brothels and opium dens of modern society where perfectly intelligent and sensible people wander glassy-eyed for hours, dropping hundreds and thousands of dollars, often in credit card debt, on things they'll scarcely remember a week later. Unfortunately, there is no such thing as shop therapy, any more than there is booze therapy or heroin therapy. There are only many different ways to flee our problems and suppress our feelings. But there are only two ways to be rich. One is to have great wealth. The other, to have few wants. As Seneca observed nearly 2,000 years ago, no one can be poor that has enough, nor rich that covets more than he has. What we deposit in our brain counts for more than what we deposit in the bank. Before television beamed the gospel of materialism into every home, it was easier to be materially poor and spiritually rich. We were poor, one still hears older folks reflect, but we didn't know it. When people with combined incomes well into six figures today complain of not being able to make ends meet, they might more aptly say, we choose to spend our money on other things. But these things less and less often include the welfare of our fellow humans or the planetary community. It turns out those who live through the depression are the most generous, while boomers who have known only affluence are at once the stingiest and most profligate. We give less than 2% and save less than 3% of our income. Perhaps the lesson of the Depression was not that we must hoard for hard times, but rather that when hard times come, it is not what you have in the bank that will rescue you, because a bank can fail. But the bonds of loyalty and affection you have developed with your community. Now hard times have come again. The stock market plunges, unemployment soars, 
nest eggs lose half their value. In an insecure world, you will find no greater security than here, in this church. We've been doing business, so to speak, nearly four centuries, a lot longer than any bank or corporation. As one of you said a few weeks back, you know, my wife and I have lost a lot of money in the stock market. We've decided to put our money into a better investment, First Parish in Cambridge. Whatever happens to the economy, we will be here, answering the call of love, welcoming all people into the celebration of life, searching for truth and meaning, and striving for justice and compassion, to nourish and serve each other, our community, and our world. Stewardship of this church is not about money. It's about values. It's the opportunity to align our lives with our principles. The word economy is from the Greek, ekonomia, meaning household management, the same root as ecology. When we spend our money on what we care most deeply about, we put our house in order. So don't give to the church. Give to yourself a gift of integrity and liberation from inconsequential things. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Jesus said that. And don't give out of guilt or peer pressure. Give out of joy, the joy a parent knows of giving of oneself to another. Don't give till it hurts. Give till it feels good. If it doesn't feel good yet, you better give more. <laughs> People ask, what's the right amount to give? The right amount to give is the amount that brings a big smile to your face whenever you think about this church. So I expect to see a lot of smiling people around here in the next couple of months. Give according to the blessings you've received in the past year. Here's how I figure it. To go to the movies, a family of four with two children under 12 has to cough up 32 bucks, not counting food and transportation. If that family went to the movies every week for a year, they'd spend $1,600.64. Leave out the summer months, and it's still over $1,200. The median household pledge at First Parish in Cambridge last year was $600. So the question is, is this church, week in and week out, worth the cost of a movie? I realize Brad Pitt and Angelina Jolie are not members here. But Brangelina won't visit you when you're sick. They won't take your hand when you're discouraged. They won't mentor your child, even with Susan Shepherd on their case. They won't perform in the talent show, even with Mara Voorhees on your case. On their case. They won't know you, support you, care about you, this congregation will. And if you don't know that yet, stick around. 
So I invite each one of us to consider what this community means to us and what it's worth to us. Let's think clearly and deliberately about where we invest our resources and where we waste them. Let's ask our families, what are our priorities? Can we afford a quarter tithe, two and a half percent of our income to the church? Can we manage a half tithe, five percent? Could we tithe to the church and give 10 percent? No one can answer that question except you. Julie and I have decided to give 5% of our income to First Parish and another 5% to other causes we care about. I don't care about money myself. Believe me, you don't go into folk music and then ministry if you care about money. <laughs> but I care deeply and passionately about what money can do for this congregation, for our children, for people in need in our community, for people in need throughout the world. What is your vision for this church? Do you see a beautiful, well-maintained church building that invites the congregation to contemplation and reverence for generations to come? Do you see an inspiring, well-organized program of religious education raising up the leaders of the next generation? Do you see adult spiritual education that takes us beyond Sunday services to new levels of learning and insight? Do you see pastoral care that reaches out not only to people in crisis but also to those in chronic pain and loneliness? Do you see a multiracial, multicultural, justice-making congregation? Do you see us taking bold steps for peace and the healing of the planet? Do you see us visiting the sick and the prisoner, clothing the naked, feeding the hungry? Do you see vistas farther still? Whatever your vision, money will nourish it. Money will make it grow. So to speak of money is not only necessary, but sacred because money can do sacred things. Money without love is contagion, but love and money together are powerful and healing medicine. So don't put your money where your mouth is. Put it where your heart is. Give out of love for love. Give till it feels good. Give till you smile. Amen. And blessed be.